And so I've been speaking about the year of absolute freedom, and I just want to recap um, week one. Uh, I spoke about um, Lot's wife, and it's actually about not turning back. And so freedom will require you to push forward and not look back. Uh, and, and the thing with, with Lot's wife is, I, th I think she couldn't believe that God had more in store for her than what she currently have. And so Sodom, the city Sodom actually represents bondage. And the city Egypt actually represents slavery. And so just like the Egyptians were at the door of the promised land, they still wanted to go back to their slavery. And so there's this interesting concept for those of you who watch Criminal Minds and all of those murder mystery stuff called Stockholm Syndrome. Do any of you guys know what Stockholm Syndrome is? So Stockholm Syndrome, for those who don't know, is when you become empathetic with your captor. People eventually fall in love with their captor, and that's what Lot's wife did. She didn't realize she was in bondage, but she fell in love with this bondage. And it's the same with Egypt. They fell in love with slavery. They thought, like, at least in Egypt, we had meat. Um, and so they fall in love with the this, this slavery. Um, but they didn't know that God had more in store for them. And so the second week I spoke about, or last week, I spoke about a misdirected fight. And your freedom is going to require you to fight. And God would have put a fight inside of you, a fight to, to get to your purpose. So that fight is actually to fight strongholds, to fight your addictions, to fight your fears, to fight your anxieties, but also to fight to get to your purpose. And there's a place where you need to get to a place of separation because there's certain things that you cannot take you with you into the promised land. There's things and habits that you've got to let go of to get into the, before you can get into the promised land. And sometimes we have this misdirected fight and Hannah was someone that actually had started out with having a misdirected fight. Hannah's initial prayers to the Lord was, give me a child so that I can silence the mouths of my naysayers, so that I can silence Benina's mouth. But actually, when she changed her prayer and said, give me a child so I can give this child back to you, God answered her prayer. And that's what God wanted her prayer to be all the time. So that's a misdirected fight. Um, and God opens up her womb when she recognizes that my fight is not against flesh and blood. My fight is not against uh, the people around me. My fight is actually against the strongholds and that principalities. And God wants to open up the wombs of some people, but we're still caught up in people fights. And God is saying, I don't need you to fight people. I can do that for you. I need you to fight the strongholds. I need you to fight the habits. I need you to fight the addictions. So that was last week. And so this week, I also want to, so this week, I actually want to talk about, freedom is actually about changing your mind. And um, so my sermon title for this week is Changing Perspective. And I know most of you have been church in, in church for a long time, so you're going to say, Pastor, there's nothing you can teach me. We know, be not conformed, but be transformed. We know I'm a new creation. We know, we know the scriptures. We know what we know. Uh, but today I actually want to speak about um, Daniel. And in the first week that I started preaching on this, I came home and my child that has very strong opinions about everything said, Mommy, you had a very strong opinion about people that are in the prophetic. I, I felt like you were a little bit shady. So, 
So for those who missed it, what I said is um, that we must be careful when we put titles, when we put titles of the fivefold ministry on people because it carries weight and there's an expectation. And I specifically spoke about a prophet. So when we put, when I accept the title as a prophet, I need to make sure that I'm prophetic and I'm prophetic for the nation and not just for the people and not for just what people want to hear. And the same responsibility is on the church, that when you put that title on somebody, you put in a mandate and a mantle on them, and you've got to make sure that that person has insight for the nation. And so um, Daniel is one of those prophets. His, his prophetic words are actually still relevant today, and so I wanted to touch on Daniel. But like I was saying, my subject matter is really about renewing your mind, and um, I listened to a podcast this week by a man named Louis Giglio, or Giglio, and he says, your mind never rests. Your thoughts are always moving. So even while you're listening to me now, even when you're on the beach, even when you're doing a nothing day, your thoughts are always moving. Even when you're sleeping, your thoughts are moving, because when you're sleeping, you're dreaming. However, your thoughts are always moving you towards God or away from God. Or, or, and when, it's, when it means away from God, it means towards myself. So I'm either going to do something that's going to be for my agenda, for my satisfaction, or it's going to be for God's glory. Um, and so like I said, I want to I talk about uh, Daniel. So you can go to the scripture. So we, we're going to go to Daniel 6, and we'll start from verse 3. If you have it, say amen. Just a few amens. I'll give you a second. <laughs> oh, you do have it. It's on the screen, people. <laughs> okay. So if you have it, say amen. Come on. I need, a, I need a stronger amen than that. If you have it, amen. You see an amen pulls something down from the heavens. If you have it, Amen. Amen. Okay. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was, on, was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Next verse. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not... Could the, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Next verse. Then these men said, well, we shall not find any grounds for complaint against this Daniel unless, I love that they say this Daniel. Someone actually called me this Heather this week. So this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any other god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast out in the den of lions. 
Now, O King, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be ch changed. Listen to that and remember that. So sign this document so it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber, opened it towards Jerusalem. He got on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to, to his God as he had previously done. Um, can we go to verse 16? Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast in the lion's den. The king declared, Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, deliver you. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop over there now. So just to give you a quick history lesson on Daniel. So Daniel, um, in fact, let me just go back uh, So Daniel is taken captive when he's about 16 years old. And so Israel, like they do, they displeased God. And I, I think what was interesting is Israel um, started pagan worship. And one of the things in pagan worship is astrology. So they, they believe in the stars and the signs. And I think it's so similar to where we are now. We're hungry for the prophetic. People are hungry for, for the prophetic, but not because they want to know about what the move of God is in the future, but because I want to know what God has in store for me. Or, and that's what most, why most people go for the prophetic, not because I want to be an instrument in God's hands, but because I need to know the prophet needs to speak a word over my life or my house, or we need to hear a prophetic word. And so Israel had the same appetite. They were, they were wanting, they started serving um, the stars and all of that, the pagan gods, because they wanted to know what was in it for them. And so God hands them over to the king of Babylon. And Babylon means confusion. So the same like um, Sodom means bondage and Egypt means slavery. Ba Babylon means confusion. And then what the king then says is, and Isaiah prophesies about it. He says that um, Israel's going to be in slavery for 70 years. And so what the king then says is, I'm going to take all the people from the royal house of Judah. And I want you to find the best people out of that, the young men who are attractive and who are young and have muscles and are intelligent. I want you to bring those men and I'm going to enslave them in the palace. And so he takes those men and, and Daniel's about 16 years old when, he, when he's taken into the palace. palace. And um, the first thing that happens is they give them food and Daniel rebels. And, and that's, well, not rebels. He kind of says, no, uh, king, I don't want this. And, and the king teaches them their language and he, teach, he gives, puts them in the education system. But one of the interesting things that the king does is, um, in fact, it's, it's his wingman. Um, by the man of Aspaniah, he actually changes their names. And so he changes Daniel's name from meaning God is my judge, which means I will live, I will live according to God's will or God's purposes. He changes that name to Baal Shezar. So Baal is a pagan god, 
And it's actually the, the feminine um, meaning of the name. So it says, it's a, it actually then means, so Baal, the Shezar actually means, lady, protect the king. So it, it completely changes what Daniel's name is. It completely changes Daniel's identity. So Daniel was, was living for God. That's the name that was given to him. And the king says, you are now protecting an idol. So, so that's the name change that they give to Daniel. The second name change is Hananiah. So there's four men that's taken from this line of Judah. The second name is Hananiah, which means Yahweh is good or gracious. And so that's the name of thanksgiving. And they change his name to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. So they instill a spirit of fear or shame. So they speak and prophesy that word over them, over him. The next name is Mishael, which means who, who is what God is, or in other words, there's no God like Jehovah, so it's a name of victory, and they change his name to Meshach, and they say, I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated, so he's walking around in defeat. They're telling him, you, walk, you, you should have been walking around in victory, but your name is changed to a name that you're walking around in defeat. The next name is Azariah, which means Yahweh is my help. So in other words, when I call upon the name of Yahweh, I know he's going to come through. I know I'm, I'm a victor. I know I've got a testimony. I know I've got breakthrough. And they change his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. Nebo was a Babylon god. So it means he's a servant of the false god. And so um, I feel like... I can just end there because that whole first chapter is a preach. So they take the children from the tribe, the royal priesthood, they take this children that has an identity of royal priesthood from the tribe of Judah, which means praise. So they take their praise and they turn the goodness of God into negativity. And so he changes his, the identity completely. But what is significant about the story of Daniel is that never, even though this is spoken over them, even though this negativity is spoken over them or, or they're in force or forced to change their identity, and they're young, they're 16, 17, 18, never do they conform to what the king wants. And so the story of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, we better know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, becomes a parallel but an opposite story to the story of the Israelites. So the Israelites are sent into the wilderness as free people. And a lot of people say, I'm having a wilderness experience or I'm going through a wilderness. But actually, the wilderness experience was actually the place where the Israelites experienced the freedom of God. They experienced the glory of God. So when you're going through a wilderness experience, it, it shouldn't be a difficult experience. God gave manna out of heaven. God made their, their shoes grow on their feet. God made their clothes grow on their bodies. Um, and so they're in the wilderness, but they're free. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel are in the palace, but they're slaves. However, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the palace, but their minds are free. If you read the, the book of Daniel, 
their minds are free. They're never enslaved by the system. In fact, they, they go into the fiery furnace. They, there's a, a place where they um, say, we're not going to bow to this foreign god. So their minds are free. Um, the first thing that's given to them is food for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. The first thing that's given to them is choice food from the king's table. And what they do is say, we're not going to have the meat of the king's table. Israel gets food from heaven, manna from heaven, and they say to God, where is the meat? And so they do everything in the opposite way of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. See, they had a slave mentality where Daniel had a free mentality. And so you're going to ask me, so, so how do you get to this free mentality? How do you, um, you're telling us about mentalities, Pastor, how do you get there? And so, like I said, Daniel was about 16 years old when he was taken into slavery. When the story that I just read, when that story happens, he's about 80. So he's in slavery for almost 70 years. And um, what happens is they obviously, so now the king, when we go back to the story, the king says, I'm going to put Daniel, because of his integrity, I'm going to put him in charge of the entire country. So he's, he's not a pagan worshiper. He's actually someone who they know serves a god or serves um, Yahweh, so he says, I'm going to put him in charge of this um, people. And the people that are from Babylon then says, but how can you do this? And, you, and, and this is the thing that happens. Favor will attract haters. So Daniel gets favor. Favor will attract haters. And you see the interesting about haters, they can never hate you alone. Haters need to find more haters. And isn't it interesting how haters will find each other? Haters will, they just, I don't know if there's hater magnets, if they've got hater Wi-Fi. Haters will, people just cannot hate you alone. So, so they start gearing up and start hating on Daniel because how can Daniel have this favor of the Lord? Jo uh, Joseph's brothers did the same thing. It's they, his older brothers, so actually they should have been his protection, but they, they start hating on him. So, um, and I, I'm, it's sad to say that it will happen anyway. It will happen at your work. It will happen in your family. It will happen in the tabernacle. Uh, haters are going to hate. Potatoes are going to potate. Um, and here's the thing. They first start looking at, at, at Daniel. They first start looking at his integrity. They're like... Um, no, so, okay, no, Shana comes to worship practice every Sunday, every Wednesday, she's ready with the lineup, she's here early, so we can't, we can't get her on that, so let's get her on something else, let's get her where it hurts, do you find your haters, if they can't find something eligible on you, or fair on you, I'm, I'm, when I don't do something at work, I'm the first one to say, oh, I didn't send my report, no one's gonna, no one's gonna be like, oh, do you know, Heather sends a report late every month. I'm going to be like, guys, I sent my report late. So, so they couldn't find anything on Daniel. And so what they do is, let's find something where it hurts. And that's what the enemy does. If you can't find something on you, I'm going to find something on your family. I'm going to sp speak about your alcoholic father. I'm going to speak about that miscarriage that you had. I'm going to speak about your addiction. 
I'm going to speak about your children. I'm going to tell people that you were poor, that you actually say, Hofa, I know Sue, but you know that they grew up in a shack. And so haters will try and find that place that hurts you the most. They'll try and find that thing that's going to break you. They'll try and find that thing that's going to humiliate you. And so what's, this is exactly what this group of haters then do. They say like, um, we know he's not going to compromise on his religion, so, so let's get him there. And they go to the king and they say, king, the governors, we all decided that there should be a new decree. Lies, Daniel wasn't with them. But we all decided there's going to be a new decree and the king would have fallen for it because if you read this book of Daniel, this is a new king. King Darius has just taken over the king. The, the kingdom actually belonged to Babylon, but it's been taken over by the Persians, so he's a new king. So he wants to enforce his authority. The second thing is, um, and that's why I wanted to read that. In Persian law, once the king sets down a decree, it cannot be reversed because they believe that the gods have given it. So you cannot, be, you cannot reverse what the gods have said. So even the king cannot reverse his decree. And so it's an easy trap for the king to fall in. I'm going to do this thing. They know this decree cannot be reversed and the king is now going to have power. All right. They put down the decree and um, Daniel then hears about it. And then what Daniel does, Daniel does that something that very few of us do when we hear that there's an accusation made against us or there's something that we're being challenged with. See, we're eager to defend ourselves when someone puts a challenge in front of us. We're eager to defend ourselves whether it's when we heard it from someone else, you know they said this about you, then you want to defend yourself. Daniel says, I'm going to go to my upper room and I'm going to pray. And what he does when he goes to his upper room, it says, this translation doesn't say it, but the, uh, the, one of the translations that I said, read says, Daniel turned to the east, so he turned to Jerusalem. But what that means is Daniel changed his perspective. Daniel looked to God, changed his perspective on what was being said about him, and it says he did that three times a day. So in other words, Daniel was consistent. And so we've done all the renewing your mind teachings in this church that we possibly could do. But what is significant about Daniel is that he does this consistently. You see, when God takes you to a place where he wants to change your perspective, you have to be consistent in saying, I'm going to change my perspective. And that's exactly what God did with, with Lot and Lot's wife. He said, I want you to go to the mountains so that I can change your perspective. And they didn't want to change their perspective. They wanted to be in their mess. You see, when the attacks come, then we want to be in the mess. We want to throw the shots. We want to throw the shade. We want to have the last say. And, and, Dan, and Daniel does something, and he says, I'm going to change my perspective. And what happens is, these men now think they have Daniel in a corner. They have Daniel under pressure. And we all know what happens when we are under pressure. 
think Pastor, Pastor Josephine said it a few weeks ago when she was preaching. She said, the more that Israel were under pressure or oppressed, the more they produced. And what happens when you're under pressure, you produce an oil. Can I get an amen? Has anybody been under pressure and realized that this pressure is there for me to produce an oil? Um, maybe I must try on this side. Has anybody been under pressure on this side? And you realize that this pressure was actually to produce an oil. And so Israel is under pressure because they need to produce an oil and they produce an oil, but they misappropriate this oil. You see, they misappropriate, they waste this oil. You see, there's three uses for oil in ancient times. So the first use is the purest oil you're going to worship God with. There was only three uses. First oil, I'm getting too excited, yeah. <laughs> I know how this message ends, so let me just calm down. The first use is for worship. Your purest oil is for worship. The second use of oil was for yourself. So it was to anoint yourself, and if you needed it for food, that was the second use of your oil. The third use of your oil, because this was the chacha oil. <laughs> it was the oil that wasn't so good. So the third use of the oil you would use for your lamp. But you see what Israel did. They reversed the uses of the oil. God gave them oil, but they said, no, Lord, instead of using the oil for number one to worship you, I'm going to use this oil for number two. I'm hungry. Where's the manna? Where's the quail? Where's the food? Where's what, what have you done for me? So they used the oil for their food, and they used the oil for their light. They started uh, illuminating their own situations when God was saying, I'm giving you this oil so that you can use this oil for worship. The same thing happens with Daniel. God puts him under pressure so that he can produce an oil. And what Daniel does, he takes his oil and he uses it for worship. See, sometimes God puts you under pressure to produce an oil in you because he wants to do something in you. But instead of using that oil for your worship, you're saying, oh Lord, just look at me, I'm in trouble. Don't you see that I'm struggling? We use this oil to illuminate ourselves when he wants that oil for the worship or we use this oil to anoint ourselves and can you see how holy I am can you see how blessed I am and God is saying that's not the purpose of this oil in this pressure the purpose of this oil in this pressure is so that you can use this oil for my worship and Daniel understands that. He understands that the pressing and the crushing and the, and the persecution is to get an oil out of him so that he can bring the purest worship to God. And so he brings this worship unto God. And eventually the king realizes what he's done. He realizes and, he, and the Bible actually says the king has a sleepless night. The king does everything he can to try and save Daniel. Um, but because he can't reverse his own decree, he now needs to let Daniel go into the lion's den. And I actually want to read that scripture again. And, it's, and, the, and the verse is, 
Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. The king declares to Daniel, may your God, who you serve, continually deliver you. So firstly, the king knows that Daniel's consistent. He knows that, that and he's not a believer, he's a pagan worship. He knows that Daniel's consistent. And here's the thing, no one can break you down if they know that you're consistent. If they know that your yes is your yes and your no is your no. But you see what happens in this scripture. The king then says, can we get the scripture up again? The king says, may your God, whom you continually serve, deliver you. So there's a scripture in the Bible that says where two agrees, a fact is established. The king that doesn't believe in God doesn't realize that he's becoming a catalyst to Daniel's miracle because he believes in what Daniel has shown him. So he becomes the person that ignites Daniel's miracle. And so that's why you've got to make sure that your light is your light because the unbelievers will become the catalyst to your miracle. The unbelievers will become the testament to what, what God has done for you. And so this man becomes the catalyst to, God, to, to Daniel's miracle. And Daniel goes to the lion's den and they put a, they roll a stone in front of the lion's den. And, and this is not what I want to preach about this morning, but I know another place where there was a stone rolled. And sometimes you feel like there's a stone rolled in front of your situation. You feel like there's a stone rolled in front of your marriage. You feel like there's a stone rolled in front of your finances. You feel like there's a stone rolled in front of your job and there's a stone rolled in front of Daniel's cave and there's a stone rolled in front of Jesus's tomb but you see what was in Daniel's cave and in Jesus's tomb was an angel the Bible says there was an angel that shut the lion's mouth the entire night I don't know what was happening in that in that cave that night I don't know if Daniel was sleeping. I don't know if he was praying. I don't know if he was riding on the lions. I don't know if he was sleeping on the lions. But I do know that the next morning, he comes out unharmed. And I want to say, if you've got an angel, if you've got an angel fighting for you, if you've got an angel that is with you, you don't have to worry about a lion. You don't have to worry about death. You don't have to worry about anything else. And so there's an angel and there's a stone that is moved. And the Bible says, first thing in the morning, guess who's there? King Darius. King Darius is there first thing in the morning. And he says, Daniel, let's just see if you're okay. And, and he sealed that because he thought, these people are, are, are con so conniving that if the lions doesn't kill them. And, and just so, by the way, it was hungry lions. It wasn't, it was hungry lions. Not, not the shop right hungry lions. Not that, they, they weren't giving Daniel KFC, sorry. I'm saying that because you might have thought, no man, they fed the lions the night before, so it's not hungry lions. It's hungry lion, Pastor Joe. Hungry lion. It's hungry lions. The king comes there. Daniel is unharmed. Now, if I was Daniel, I'd come out there and be like, <laughs> let me show them. But thank God for Daniel. Daniel's not us. And the king says, I don't think I have the verse here, but, but what he does do, he, he praises God. He says to Daniel, your God is the true God. 
And then the next thing he does is he, he says, bring that people that plotted against Daniel. He says, bring the men, bring their wives, bring their children. That's, an, that's, a, that's a generation. That's a legacy. So he says, bring this generation and let us throw this generation in the pit. And I, the reason why I said they were hungry lions so that you don't think like, oh, maybe these lions weren't hungry. Let us throw them in the pit for the hungry lions. And the Bible says, before these men and women and children reached the ground, you could hear the crushing of their bones. And so, if you don't know, bones talk about structure. So, I said it before, that Daniel's in slavery for, so the prophecy says um, Israel's going to be in slavery for 70 years. This event happens towards the end of the 70 years. These bones are being crushed here on the one side. Ezekiel is here in the valley of dry bones. Now, number, I need to, get, <laughs> need to get my steps in, Pastor Amanda. In the valley of dry bones, chapter 37, verse 9 and 10. And I'd like to think, while the structure was being broken down here, while these bones were being crushed down here, Ezekiel is busy prophesying over here and he's saying, can these dry bones, the Lord says, what do you see? He says, I see dry bones. And he says, can you prophesy over these dry bones? And the knee bones and the hip bones and the shoulder bones and the finger bones and all the bones are starting to get together. See, while the crushing is happening here, while the structure that's been keeping them captive, that's been keeping them oppressed, that's been keeping them down is being crushed and broken down here on the other side Ezekiel is busy prophesying so that this system of God the system that God has originally implemented these bones are busy coming together and these bones are not just bones Ezekiel the Lord says to Ezekiel prophesy and then he says and then there's flesh on the bones and then there's skin on the bones and this thing becomes a structure and it becomes a mighty army See, you think you were going to be crushed by, the, by the, the lions. But God is saying the structure is being broken. You've got to renew your mind daily so that the system that's been oppressing you, so that the structure that's been putting you in a corner, so that this thing that's been putting you under pressure can be crushed, can be destroyed. Because on the other side, on the other side, there's a prophetic voice that is speaking life into your situation, that is raising up a mighty army, that is raising up the voice of God, that is saying this thing that you see as dead is becoming life. This thing that you see as a burden is going to become your blessing. The scene that you see as a trial is going to become your testimony. This thing that looks like a mess is going to become your message. And you've just got to focus on the prophetic word of God. And so while this one structure is being broken down, the structure of God is being built up on the other side. We 
You see, God is wanting to break some structures that we have formed in our life. God is wanting to break some strongholds, but it's going to require some consistency. It's going to require, like I said, it's going to require you not to look back. It's going to require you to fight, to fight. You're going to have to fight those strongholds. You're going to have to fight those generational curses. You're going to have to fight those addictions. You're going to have to fight those giants. See, um, uh, David fought the giant that was called Goliath, but he couldn't fight the giant that was called Bathsheba. You see, sometimes those giants come with pretty dresses, and they come with red lips, and they come with beautiful things. They come looking like a Big Mac, but it's not what God wants for you. Those are the giants that you've got to resist that looks like it's not going to hurt anybody. See, David was supposed to fight that giant, but because it was a pretty giant, he thought like, hmm. See, God is not going to restore a people and not the place. If God is busy restoring you, and that's why you've got to push, you've got to push, you've got to push so that God can restore me so that my children can experience restoration. God can restore me so that my family can experience restoration. And I think for some of people, some people in this church might think, Pastor uh, can you just stop it? God must restore our senior pastors so that Faith City can get restoration. And, uh, and God must reform, restore Faith City so that Goodwood can get restoration. And so that the city can get restoration. You see, there's a fight that we've got to fight. Um, I think it's in Genesis 35. And we know that, that Jacob loved Leah, uh, Rachel. He loved her so much that when she died, he carried her bones with him. And, and Maya's laughing, thinking I'm going to do that for Adelaide. He loved her. <laughs> He loved her so much that he carried her bones with him. And eventually, Genesis 35, verse 19, it says, So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way, way to Ephra, that is in Bethlehem. Um, and then it says, Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, um, and to this day, the pillar marks Rachel's tomb. And then verse 21 can go to verse 21, and I'm just going to read the first two words, and my, my translation says, and Israel moved on. Don't know if you caught that. Jacob went in, but Israel came out. See, some of us have to let some bones go. I almost want to say some beef or so, but we need to let some bones go. Because as long as we have that bones, we are Jacob. We deceive in ourselves. We confuse in ourselves. We're trying to hold other people back. We're trying to confuse people. But as soon as you can let that bones go, God says, and then Israel. And Israel represents the church. So if you can let the bones go so that God can renew our minds, can restore us so that the church of God can rise up.
Um, I've been watching a few podcasts of um, Bishop Jakes, and he says, whenever you ask for change, be, pre- be prepared for disruption. And so that's what happened in Daniel's life. I think Daniel must have thought, like, I'm old, man. Lost my eight. I'm going to retire. He's in his 80s. He's been serving since he's 16. But if we want change, church, you're going to experience disruption. That's what the woman with the issue of blood did. She was willing to disrupt her own life. She was willing to disrupt a crowd because she knew that she needed change. I think what I find interesting in this book of Daniel is that Daniel is 80 by the time that this happens. Daniel comes into slavery when he's 16 years old. So he only has, probably 16, I mean, when do kids start understanding? Five. So he has 10 years of teaching. But that 10 years of teaching carries him through 80 years of slavery. Never in the story of of Daniel do you see, Lord, why me? Never do you see the manna is not enough. Never do you see him say, why did you bring us into the wilderness? Is there not graves in Egypt? That's what what Israel said to Moses. Never do they say, never does he murmur. He always is consistent with what God wants to do for you. And so... Just as a synopsis, in Daniel 1, Daniel refuses to eat on the king's table, and eventually, and and I said it before, these are are kings that don't believe in Yahweh, eventually, the king of that time, which was Nebuchadnezzar, honors God. In Daniel 2, also Nebuchadnezzar, um, Daniel interprets a dream of the king, and that king honors God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is thrown into the fire, fiery furnace. The king honors God. Daniel interprets, in chapter four, Daniel interprets the writing on the wall. The king humbles himself and gives glory to God. Daniel tells Balthazar, which was also the king, that, he's going, that his time is short-lived and that king honors God. Daniel was in captivity, but his mind was free. And so you might be feeling like you're living through the toughest challenges. I think, I think since I've started being in this pulpit, the devil doesn't hold punches. I've been going through the toughest challenges to the, to the point where this week I was busy texting pastor to say, uh, give me a break this week. Um, but you see, Destiny is going to require you to fight. Destiny is going to require you to to stand firm. Destiny is going to require you to push back. And Daniel did that. Uh, Just think about it. 16-year-old. They're the most impressionable. Put the enemy in a bunch of people that are smoking. A percentage of them are going to put them in a bunch that are... I don't want to look at anybody that's 16 because uh, put them in a bunch that are drinking, they're going to try. Put them in a bunch that are clubbing. But Daniel stands firm. And so this morning, um, 
I, I want to pray for some people. This morning, I believe that, that we're in a crushing season. You thought certain things came to crush you. I think Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. And that's what I want to say, is you feel like you're experiencing a crushing. You feel like you're experiencing a breaking. But what's happening in that crushing is that God on the other side is busy raising up a prophetic voice to restore whatever he has spoken about you. And sometimes our timing, we, we don't realize that the timing, just like with, with, um, with Abraham, he was walking up on the one side to sacrifice his son. On the other side, the ram was walking up. See, you don't see that on the other side, the prophetic voice is busy working out. On the other side, the army that is fighting for you is busy being raised up. On the other side, those dry bones are coming together. And so this morning, I want to pray for people that feel that I've been going to a, through a crushing that I don't feel I'm going to make it past either. I've been going through a crushing, and so I feel like maybe I'm preaching for myself this week. I feel like I've been going through a pressing. I've been going through the fire. I'm, I feel like I've been going through the furnace. So the story of the furnace is so interesting because it says they were bound up. In fact, the, the king said, put on all their clothes. Put on, put on the turbans, put on their coats, bind them up. And they were bound up. And then eventually the king says, there's four men in the fire. They're not bound up. They're dancing in the fire. And so I want us to get to a church that when we're in the fire, we can dance in the fire. When you ask me how it's going, I'm going to say, uh, Pastor Josephine, I'm in the fire, but I'm dancing in the fire. I'm in the furnace, but I'm dancing in the furnace. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me this morning. If you need prayer, you can.